is, is amazing. Uh, I missed you all during Easter. I was in Texas with Stacy's family, uh, helping her uh, 70-something parents with a little bit of downsizing. And I will tell you that uh, oftentimes I feel the most ineffective in sharing my faith with those to whom I am the closest. So uh, I'm sure that's probably not unlike uh, many of you. I don't have the picture this morning, but I, I showed it to you last time I talked about going to see my in-laws that I went on a fishing trip with my uh, father-in-law and my son. We went out and we caught our limit of uh, redfish, um, and I was reading this passage, and it occurred to me that uh, I could, I guess, claim that I'm a fisherman now, even though I think that's probably the third time I've ever actually held a fishing pole. Uh, but there was a fish on the other end of it, right? So, I mean, I, it depends on on what, what your definition of a fisherman is. And I think, so I- if I'm a fisherman, and I will say that uh, for Easter, uh, before we left, uh, we did eat well. So it was, uh, redfish tastes really, really good. Um, and I even got to cook it. But So at what point did I become a fisherman? Was it when I set foot on this chartered boat? Was it um, when the captain who had actually baited the hook and cast the line, uh, when, when he handed that thing and put it in my hand? Uh, well, am I a fisherman then, or was it like when I got the first pull? Okay, I'm a, I'm a fisherman, or is that is it that first crank on the wheel, yeah, on the reel when I when I start pulling in, or is it is it when the net goes in the water and there's a fish, or really it's only when the fish comes out and we we measure it, and we say that's ah, too short, that goes back in, you're not really a fisherman yet, right? You got, but, and or is it when I tell stories, right? I mean they they say that. Uh, the size of fish increases at uh, 8 in the morning and at 5 in the evening. I don't know what they mean by that. But, um, you know, when we, when we show up on the dock, we had 36 pounds of fish uh, before they filleted them all. Um, but I'm not sure at, at what point I, I became a fisherman uh, or if you even agree with me. Uh, but it seems to me that no matter where you might consider the line of, of being a fisherman is that there is a certain amount of activity on, on my part such as it was, that had to, uh, that had to go into that. Uh, and I, I assure you that I have no intention or probably ability to own or operate the uh, kind of boat we were on, uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure I could not find a promising spot to find redfish, although I will tell you that there is a spot on the map marked Redfish Bay, and uh, that's where we were, and that's where we caught redfish, but I'm pretty sure I couldn't find it. Um, and uh, so the point is... Uh, I, you know, I, have, uh, I could not have, have, have caught fish and, and fed the family on my own, but I had, a, I had some role to play uh, if we were going to eat. So we're going to hear, uh, excuse me, we're going to hear this morning a little bit about uh, doing, doing stuff. Um, and, it's, um, and it's a little bit uh, more involved than, than fishing. So let's, let's get to the word. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. 
But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. This is God's word. This is my favorite section of scripture. Um, when, uh, when Mike Helby asked if I would uh, teach for him today, um, I'm, I'm sure uh, I was reminded that God often has a sense of humor because I think it's a little bit uh, uh, dangerous for a recovering Catholic like me to um, be given a, a passage like this. Uh, but, I, but I've always thought that uh, faith and works are essential elements of the Christian life. Um, and if, if, you're, um, if you're like me, I hope that you, uh, well, if you, if you do wrestle with this notion a lot, a lot of study, a lot of meditation, read a lot, pray for wisdom a lot, um, because it's, it's not just in this passage, it's in lots of places. And it's important to get it right, um, and it's important not to uh, wander far from, from God's word. Um, but I will just tell you that it's always, it's always been something that I've wrestled with. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I'll paraphrase. He says, it's like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is the most important. Um, so before we, we dive into this, I want to remind everybody uh, you know, where we were in, in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Dallas led us through the passage last week. If you missed it, I really would encourage you to download and listen to the podcast. Uh, Dallas uh, led us through that passage, and it's probably the most powerful summary of the deity of Jesus Christ in Scripture. Well, probably one of. And it's essential that we remember that before we get into this talk that Paul just got done talking all about Jesus. He is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. He has risen from the dead to the glory of God the Father. So let's take a, a deeper look at this passage, and you can hear me mispronounce some Greek words and uh, fill in the blanks that I put on the sheets in front of you. So here we go. All right. This is, uh, again, I'm just going to reread the verses and then try to, try to give you some Greek, not because it's hard for me to pronounce, but because I think if we look a little bit more at what these particular Greek words are about, I think you'll get a different sense maybe than what you've had when you've approached this passage in the past. So verses 12 and 13, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, I don't know how many of you are parents. I know all of you have been children at one point or another, but uh, what we do when no one is looking is often an indicator of something. So it may be an, ind an indicator of uh, uh, good or bad. So the, the word um, that I uh, put on your sheet here is katergatsomai. That means, uh, and here's your first fill in the blank, it's to work, to do, to perform, cause, or work out. So it's do doing, performing, working out. Um, to result in, to fashion, uh, we see this particular word in lots of places in the New Testament. It's in Romans chapter 7 a lot. When Paul is talking about the things that I do, I do not want to do. That's the same, the same word. It's in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11. Uh, it's in Ephesians 6. It's also in James 1, 3. Um, but it is, it is uh, like I mentioned earlier, implied that this, uh, this notion about working things out is not, this is not an isolated passage. This is, this is all over the place. 
But this, this section, these two verses, are, and this is your next fill in the blank, this is about your own salvation. Okay? In a very real sense, you are one-on-one with God. Okay? So if you just wrote down your own, I want you to cross it out, and I want you to put your first name, your last name, and an apostrophe S on there. This is Dave Duhadway's salvation. Okay? This is, this is what we're talking about here. Um, Job chapter 19, which is, if, you, if, you, uh, if you're a lectionary follower at all, Job chapter 19 was uh, one of the, I think it was a Good Friday reading, maybe uh, uh, Thursday, but uh, 19 verse 25, I know my Redeemer lives, my Redeemer. And in verse 27, whom my eyes will behold and not another's. Uh, Job understood that salvation is a personal thing. First and foremost, we are talking about you personally here. And the only person in the universe that you get to decide about is you. All right, so this area is, as we used to say in the Air Force, non-trivial. I thought we would uh, consider some other source other than myself uh, to deal with some of the common issues with these verses. And and I thought, who better for a a recovering Catholic to uh, uh, learn from than a Reformed Baptist preacher So here are some paraphrased thoughts from a guy named Charles Spurgeon, if you've heard of him. Uh, And he's got a sermon called Your Own Salvation. I I commend it to you. It's it's very long, but a couple of thoughts from that particular sermon. Uh, Objection number one, predestination. This is the objection that uh, working out your salvation, but we're predestined to be saved. Doesn't it say that in in Romans? Uh, Spurgeon's response to that is, uh, were you predestined to be wet on your way into church today? If so... Uh, or if you were predestined to be dry, why did you bring an umbrella? You know, if you were predestined to go hungry tonight or to be well-fed tonight, is that what you do when you decide you're going to eat your dinner? Okay, you know, it's, we don't play around with this notion of predestination in anything other than our salvation, right? So do it, okay? Don't, don't get twisted around about the predestination piece. What about full assurance? The objection that if we're working on our salvation, doesn't that fly in the face of our assurance of salvation? Spurgeon says, the saved are not afraid to examine themselves. Presumption is not assurance. And no fully assured believer objects to a careful walk before the Lord. Okay? What about, excuse me, what about selfishness? Uh, That working out our own salvation is simply a selfish notion. Spurgeon's response was, how can you serve others unless you are saved yourself? It would be selfish not to see to one's own fitness to serve. So salvation is more than just deliverance from the guilt of our past sins. This is another fill in the blank here. It's also deliverance from the power of sin. It's a, it's a future-looking type of a thing. There's a power to sin in our lives that we can't quite shake. And salvation involves release from that power too. How do we do that? Yes, but how? Uh, You know, look at verse 13. Um, Well, I should say, let's look at the end of verse 12 as we go into verse 13 because they tie together. There's a couple of words in there that people use in, in their common vernacular, fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Um, well, first, it's, it's God himself working in you. The, the Greek word that, that for God's work here is a different word. It's called energeo. It's to be at work or to put forth power. That's not on your sheet. Uh, but the second reason why fear and trembling is this you don't want to get wrong. 
okay? You might be a little bit off on your interpretation of the book of Revelation or on the Christian approach to the tax code or health care, okay? Do not be wrong about your salvation, okay? If you need to deal with that this morning at your table times, if you're, if you're just not sure about that, you're pretty sure where you are between, you know, Reformed or, or you know, Calvinist or whatever, but you're not 100% sure about your salvation, deal with that today. This is the reason why we fear and tremble. It's your, this is your deal. You're the only one that can, that, can, that can decide here. So don't miss out on that. And did you see the great news at the end of verse 13? God himself enables us to do all of this. We get God's power to do God's will. Conversely, when we seek our own will, we're pretty much on our own, and that is a whole lot less power. All right. Verse 14. This is great stuff, guys. I'll just tell you right up front. This stuff makes me, you know, proud to be naturally who I am because this is all really easy, right? So here we go. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Okay. Here's some really, really great, fun Greek words. I don't know why I, I decided I needed to spell these on your sheets, but so this is uh, gagismos, means murmuring, all right? Mur- no one here has ever murmured, but if you're, if you're curious what that's like, I can, I'll tell you a little bit about murmuring here in a second. And then... Uh, Dialogismos, looks a lot like dialogue, right? Um, Deliberating, questioning about what is true. That's what dialogismos means. I'm constantly questioning about what is true. In Romans 1, 21, you'll recall the part of that verse that says, they became futile in their speculations, talking about the world. They questioned all day long about what is true. We're seeing that today. We're not even sure what a man or a woman is, what male and female is, you know, and it's, it's become futile. We're just con- one constant question. So about muttering, I have an internal mutter that I have to keep in check pretty much all day. Um, when I don't stop the internal muttering, it quickly goes into uh, dialogismos, right? I start to question. I start to do things like, I, you know, I can't believe that he just said that. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, maybe, maybe it is really all that bad. Maybe, maybe it really is terrible after all. Maybe I'm a failure, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, it just it devolves in about three seconds from the first mutter to the first internal uh, dialogue. Uh, it's worse when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, and it's worse for you too. Uh, it's amazing to me that I needed almost no training to learn how to be a grouse. <laughs> Nobody really taught me to do that. Here's another thing. Grousing is contagious. It doesn't take long for grousing to overpower any group. And the end result is, like in Romans, it's futility. So what's the, what's the alternative? We live out the commands of God with joyful obedience. Yes, but how? Um, it, it really helps if we can discern what these commands are, by the way. Something to think about. Uh, verse 15 uh, Ginomai means to come into existence, to begin to be, 
to come to pass, okay? So this is good, <clears throat> meaning that we're not there yet. The moment I got saved, I did not instantaneously stop muttering, and I didn't instantaneously become a light to the world. But it will, ginomai, it will be come to pass, um, or it will begin to come to pass. And then the word, the word after that, uh, without blemish, uh, above reproach, um, uh, amomas, uh, it means without blemish, faultless, unblameable. Uh, Momus in Greek mythology was the uh, personification of satire and mockery. He was the sharp-tongued spirit of unfair criticism, uh, always able to find fault. And I am I think of nitpicking. I don't know why my middle name is not Momus. If you, if you need my services about, you know, something wrong with your wardrobe, your particular style of Bible, whatever you're driving out in the parking lot, I can help you with that. Just stop by afterwards. I'll be happy to nitpick you to death. You know, it's not, it's not, my, not my favorite thing. Um, so, but the hope in verses 14 and 15 is that the power of God can use our joyful obedience, our work without grumbling or disputing, to transform us right before the eyes of the entire world. And this is work, biting off our grumbles, not letting a dispute grow. That furthers our own salvation. And if you've never asked God to get involved in this part of your life, let me just tell you, put your helmet on. You're going to work. You're going to work hard. And in verse 16, we have epecho, which means to apply, to observe, to attend to. You know, get to doing excuse me, get to doing it. We don't only have to hold fast to the word of life, but the word epeho means we have to apply it. We have to observe it. We have to do it. It's that working out notion again. It's not have faith and stop, my friends. So, and as we finish this, let me, let's take a quick look at Paul's language. His approach was to run and to toil for his faith. Running connotes pushing hard and moving forward. Labor and toil connotes detailed, consistent focus. Um, all, both of those things are work, at least to me. You know, I, I run because I like to eat, but it's work to run. And I go to work, and I, it's, it's work to go to work. You know, you have to, uh, you have to approach things like this. You have some things you've got to go do. You've got to put forth the effort in anything we do, and that's true in your spiritual life. If you're not consistently focused on the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you need to get to it. Whoops. Did we, listen, we lost the slide, or did I just not send it to you? Okay, so pretend you can see verses 17 and 18. <clears throat> I'll read it for you. Uh, 17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Um, spendo is the word in Greek. And that's, that's a pretty easy one to kind of think of what that might mean. But it really means to be poured out as a drink offering. You know, we don't think much about the things we drink today because we can just go to the store and buy it. But if, if you had to make your own wine, maybe some of you guys make your own beer. Maybe, you know, maybe you've spent a lot of time investing in the things that you're drinking or even just purifying water on a camp out. You know, it can take some time if you're going to boil it. And then to sit there and pour it out. You know, that's a, that's a costly thing sometimes. And that's what this notion of a drink offering is. But think of yourself being poured out in the same way. God's made this investment in you, and now you're being poured out on the ground. It just is an offering to God. That's how Paul saw, it, saw himself. 
And in spite of the work, Paul has great joy in this being poured out and commands us also to rejoice and then to share it. I think joy is the antidote to the muttering and the grumbling. And I've seen it happen. There are actually, I'm not making this up, there's scientific studies, there's websites about the power of thankfulness, that if you'll take some time and give thanks every day, you can actually improve your physical health. Uh, There are uh, other aspects that are kind of uh, impressive. If you want to go learn about it, go do that. But why pray before eating? Uh, Not just to say the grace, it's not some sort of magic incantation, it's to give thanks. And then you're actually giving it to one another. You're sharing that thanks before you ever get started. Um, You're doing it out loud. I've noticed that at my family gathering where I was, uh, when you ask people about things for which they are thankful, it changes the entire tone of the conversation. There may have been some muttering and grousing prior to that. But if you change the subject, it's it's like a deer in the headlights. Wait a minute, I know I ought to be thankful for something. It changes the entire tenor of the conversation. And that's what Paul's commanding you to do here today. All right, one last thing, and then I'm done. Uh, One thing that I've learned in my life, uh, and I haven't learned much, uh, is that you're not going to grow in your faith if you give God the leftovers. All right, If 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 all the things that you do in your faith, if that source of that comes from whatever's left over, after you, give, uh, after you do what you think you have to do or whatever you feel like you want to do, you're going to be pedaling all day in first gear on a 21-speed bike. You want to know the power of God to transform your life? Go all in. No holding back just in case. I'm talking about total surrender. Your family relationships, your wife, your kids, your parents, your in-laws, those are gods now. How do you live as a husband? Love, as your, love your wife as God loved the church. Your money? Well, that's God's money. That belongs to God. First question is, what does God want you to do with it? What about your calendar? Your time is God's. First question is, where does God want me to spend the same 24 hours that he gave me today? Surrendered, and you're willing to be poured out, you'll be a light to the world. This is not something that happens later. This stuff happens now. Because who is the light shining to? A crooked and perverse generation. That's now. This is the time. Pour yourself out. This is not in the nice-to-do category. This is about yourself. Take it very seriously. Uh, Thanks for listening. I'm thankful for you guys. Here's some questions for your table. Uh, Sorry for the meddling in advance. Uh, What's the work you have set before you by the Holy Spirit in your relationships, in your finances, in your calendar? Uh, this week, decide how you're going to hold your table mates accountable for muttering and grumbling because you're going to check in next week. And uh, how about rejoicing? How have you been doing with that? And share some rejoicing at your table. All right? Thanks, man.